mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Mayor Christina Mern responds to the Findlay Area Apartment Association's effort to revise certain city ordinances and charges that local leaders are prioritizing the agenda of special interests ahead of city residents. Also this morning, while schools around the country are out for the summer, a bill introduced earlier this year could make it safer for students when they return. It has bipartisan support, but no movement so far in Congress, something the American Heart Association hopes to change. And we have details on July programs and happenings from the Hancock Park District. Michelle Rumschlag will tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, June 27, 2023. I'm just going to throw this out here. Today is Decide to be Married Day. I'm looking at the observances and such for the day today. It says it's Decide to be Married Day. It is also PTSD Awareness Day. <laughs> Coincidence or some very appropriate planning? I, you decide. I'm not going to say anything. I just uh, thought it was interesting that those two things should happen to fall on the same day. So um, the big news everybody's going to be talking about today, the uh, Supreme Court is set to hand down a number of key decisions that could address uh, student debt relief, affirmative action, federal election laws, and who knows what else. The, uh, the court is entering its final week of the summer session. Ten cases still are pending They include a case over First Amendment rights versus LGBTQ rights out of Colorado. A web designer is arguing that a state law requiring her to serve LGBTQ customers violates her religious beliefs. She was asked to create a wedding website for a same-sex couple, and she refused to do that. So that uh, that case, all the way to the Supreme Court, justices could announce whether they will take up several high-profile cases regarding racial discrimination, guns, and qualified immunity uh, looking forward. So those decisions expected at 10 a.m. today. So it's always a big day when the court decides that they are going to come out and, and issue their rulings. I, they could technically do that any time, but they they wait till this final week and so they give themselves all the time they need to consider their opinions so big week with respect to the uh, supreme court this i thought was uh, kind of interesting one of the stories that has been in the news and i think i saw this uh, story this is from the independent um one of the big ongoing stories has been uh the economy jobs and such an analysis Of 42,000 people, the global economy, not just in this country, but across the world, an analysis of 42,000 people in nine countries has found that men, and these are, they surveyed individuals who are in traditional heterosexual relationships, right? So they find that men who are unemployed prefer their partner to be unemployed as well. (laughs) Relationships where the woman is the sole breadwinner have lower well-being ratings than those in relationships where both partners work or the man is the breadwinner. Uh, Because as men, 
And I think we've long known this as men. We don't often deal with it well when our wives make more money than we do. We are conditioned to believe that we should be the breadwinner. So when you upend that equilibrium, it throws the relationship off. I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, I'm just stating a fact, it, and the data backs it up here. Uh, this is a study out of the University of, Bath, uh, University of Bath in Germany. Or, yeah, well, the University of Bath. Uh, they, they said the country where men struggle most with this issue is Germany. That's what I said here. I was getting confused. Uh, men are socialized and expected by society to be the main provider. Uh, research has uh, found that couples tend to be judged more harshly when the man is unemployed. So, <laughs> this is the uh, part of this that actually caught my eye. Having a partner who is also unemployed makes men feel less bad about their own joblessness and less self-conscious. So, <laughs> so if men are unemployed in a relationship, it is better to be totally destitute <laughs> than to have the wife working, according to this survey. Now, that's, that's pretty thick-headed. Of the men in those relationships. By God, we should be just completely destitute. <laughs> uh, rather than have the wife make more money. That's uh, that's pretty sad, actually. Think about it. Anyway. Some of the other most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Now, this has long been sort of a uh, talking point in the culture wars. Because there's a lot of debate over today's educational standards and, and so on. It is sort of a flashpoint in the, uh, in the culture wars. But this goes back all the way, oh, a decade or more, when educational standards began omitting cursive instruction. Kids don't learn to write in cursive anymore. Many members of Gen Z... And younger have uh, never been taught how to read or write in cursive. According to the Washington Post, even though this form of handwriting is, uh, used to be a mainstay of American public education for many students, cursive is becoming as foreign as ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. With the development and prominence of technology, cursive has become increasingly obsolete. And so schools are saying, hey, we only have so many hours in the day. We need to focus on the most important things to teach kids, and cursive is not among them. And so increasingly, they're not. And there's been long been some debate over what will the long-term impact of that be. This, I thought, was kind of interesting. Um, maybe one of the more unexpected uh, after-effects of that. A report in The Atlantic says, uh, well, they say in the future, cursive will have to be taught by uh, taught to scholars the way paleo, uh, paleography is taught today. Uh, th and the most significant uh, result of this that we are seeing right now already is in uh, archival work. Uh, many written documents from the 19th century and other early time periods are written in cursive. While it was once taken for granted that American students would always know how to read cursive, 
that is now not the case. And so these older documents uh, for archivists who store these things uh, for posterity, they're uh, struggling with this because young people can't can't read the documents. I just thought that was kind of interesting. It's already starting to show up, the uh, after effects of this. So uh, a lot of people are traveling this time of year. I thought this was kind of an interesting story. A new study conducted by Qantas Airlines and the University of Sydney have found that the foods that can help travelers recover from jet lag, chili, chocolate, and carbs, 23 participants journeyed from New York to Sydney while researchers documented how they responded to various foods, lighting, and other conditions. Menus in particular seem to make a difference. The food had the greatest impact. Comfort foods like desserts and carbs correlated with better sleep and improved cognition 48 hours after the trip. Um, And if you've ever gone on a long trip, you know jet lag is a real thing that you have to deal with. Um, And for airlines, uh, their staff who work long flights, have shown decreased scores in memory tests. And so they obviously have a vested interest in making sure that we can minimize the effects of jet lag because of the very nature of their work. And especially for an airline like Qantas, which is the Australian official Australian airline, because any place you fly on Qantas Airlines is going to be a long way by definition given where they are in the world. So they have a vested interest, but apparently comfort foods are the best thing you can do to beat jet lag. So something to keep in mind as you're traveling this summer. And by the way, speaking of travel, did you happen to see this? I saw this story yesterday. It popped up on my Google news feed. And if you haven't seen it, it is all kinds of cool. Phil Stringer is was flying... From Oklahoma City to Charlotte, or he was he wanted to fly from Oklahoma City to uh, Charlotte. I think it was uh, American Airlines. So he gets to the airport, and his flight is delayed, apparently a mechanical issue. And then it's delayed again, and again, and again. And then they run into issues with, um, you know, pilots working too many hours and, you know, regulations and so on. They can't work past a certain thing. Flight gets delayed nearly 18 hours. Nearly 18 hours. Mr. Stringer st- uh, spends in the airport waiting for his flight. Finally, uh, 18 hours after it was supposed to take off, they finally uh, get a plane to the gate and they're ready to board. Mr. Stringer shows up to board the airplane and he's the only one there. <laughs> Everybody else who was booked on the air uh, on the flight has rebooked on another flight, except Phil. (laughs) And they had to bring in an entire flight crew to service the flight from Oklahoma City to Charlotte for one passenger. (laughs) He said he kept uh, apologizing for having to make everybody work what turned out to be a red-eye flight from Oklahoma City to Charlotte. Uh, But the... The pilots and the flight attendants actually said, hey, this is what you dream about. <laughs> Instead of a plane full of people, just one passenger 
that they could dote on. And apparently, they ended up having a great time. They all sat in first class. They all spent the flight just chatting away. <laughs> um, and they even exchanged phone numbers to stay in touch afterwards. He said it uh, turned into an extraordinary flight, a memory, he says, that I will cherish forever. And um, they did, though, have some fun with it because according to FAA regulations, they still had to make all of the announcements about uh, airline safety and so on. So they went through the whole spiel (laughs) for the benefit of one person. And so every time they made an announcement, they said, yes, and Phil, we're talking to you. Time they had to get on the PA. Yes, Bill, we're talking to you. <laughs> if you haven't seen the uh, story, look it up. It is absolutely hilarious. There you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started here. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. It were WTOL 11 weather. Mostly cloudy today. A few showers possible. High in the mid-70s. Partly cloudy tonight. Low around 60. The Finley-Hancock County Community Foundation says their office will be temporarily relocating to the third floor of their current building at 101 West Sandusky Street as their office on the second floor undergoes renovations. Our foundation is committed to improving the visitor experience and accessibility, making sure that our space is welcoming and appealing for visitors, and making sure that we use the square footage that we have in the best way possible. Community Foundation President and CEO Brian Treese says included in the renovation plans is the Donnell Event Center to host small gatherings, meetings, and workshops within the foundation's office space. Get more on the website. The Buckeye State dodged a bullet on Sunday when severe weather weakened before entering the state, but some communities in Indiana are picking up the pieces after tornadoes struck there. Whiteland and Greenwood, Indiana are just south of Indianapolis. Both areas had videos of funnel clouds. Officials say at least 75 homes are damaged. They also say communities will be without power over the next few days. One person was reportedly killed. ONN's Clay Gordon reporting. The Ohio Supreme Court is leaving in place a decision that allows more than 230 men to sue Ohio State over decades-old sexual abuse by a university doctor, the late Richard Strauss. Two cases involving the abuse were on a list of many cases the court said it would not hear. Ohio State University had urged the court to review an appeals court ruling that revived lawsuits after they'd been dismissed. The men who sued are among hundreds of former student athletes and other alumni who say they were abused by Strauss. He worked at the school from 1978 to 98 and killed himself in 2005. Dave James, Owen in News. The city of Finley says safety is a pillar of their mission and values, and they participate in the Ohio Bureau of Workers' Compensation Group Retrospective Rating Program. The city says it's proud to have a culture of safety within its workforce that has led to more than $2.5 million in workers' compensation reimbursements since 2019. Don't forget, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So now our cover story this morning, Mayor Christina Mern is with us this morning. Yesterday, you recall, we spoke with the uh, president of the Finley Area Apartment Association about their effort to revise a set of city ordinances and some pretty sharp criticism of city leaders. Mayor Mern, thanks very much for uh, being with us. We appreciate it, first of all. My pleasure. Thanks, Chris. Uh, obviously, as uh, an elected official, as any elected official, you are uh, certainly no stranger to uh, criticism of uh, you know your leadership and, and part and parcel of, of being an elected uh, official. Um, 
but I, I, I'm be interested, first of all, to get your reaction to specifically the, uh, the sharp criticism that you are, uh, more interested in advancing the agenda of special interests over the interests of the citizens, uh, of the city of Findlay. How do you, again, it's not necessarily a charge that you haven't heard before. How do you respond to, uh, accusations like that you know what people criticize on lots of different things and my mentality is i know i'm doing the right thing for the community uh always disappointed to hear it but i know it's completely false and unfortunately you know there's a couple of specific individuals that have felt that way about me since the very beginning and i'm not going to be able to change their mind but i'm going to just continue to serve the community as i know is right to do Let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the specifics on the uh, ordinances that the Apartment Association specifically is now looking to uh, launch a ballot initiative to address. Uh, The first is uh, regarding zoning code changes that they want to uh, put before voters that, Mm -hmm. that, that should go on the ballot, they say, before uh, zoning code changes uh, are made. That would, and again, as we were mentioning yesterday, is the main concern the how that would slow down the, the process? Yeah. So first of all, I want to take a step back. Um, I listened to the interview yesterday, and there's a couple of errors in the statements that were made. First of all, any zoning code regulations or building code regulations under Ohio Revised Code cannot include emergency language. They they cannot be um, have readings waived. So stating that that's a reason that they're wanting to make this change is, is you know, misplaced. Second of all, as we've been discussing this instance of the zoning code um, updates, we have had seven public meetings over the last five months um, with very little public participation. We, we have these public meetings. Um, we've put surveys in for out and, and we have received some feedback and we took that feedback into consideration. We Most of the feedback we received was specific to farm animals. And so we've actually taken that out for further discussion to be able to make sure that we are having reasonable legislation that addresses the community concerns while also making sure that we're, you know, trying to be as flexible as possible with citizens. When we look at, you know, the, the proposed petition initiative, um, I do have significant concerns. I think it would completely disrupt the flow and development of our community because the process already that would we would work through would occur and then it would go to the ballot. And, and the way zoning codes work is every single time, every single parcel, you know, is any parcel is rezoned, that is part of the zoning code. So yes, it, if you want to just keep your property as it is, that's fine. But if a business comes in and wants to rezone from C1 to C2 or a new parcel is annexed into the city, and they don't have a zoning code, you know, designation, now they have to wait, go through the process, and then get on the ballot. And I just think that that is inefficient and inappropriate. You uh, mentioned, it brought up the uh, emergency readings, uh, mm-hmm. or the uh, the emergency, uh, that has been a uh, an issue in the past with the city council, and maybe this is uh, something that is better uh, addressed uh, by by city council directly, but I'll I'll ask yeah. you. Um, that's something that has been brought up in the past, and again, as you were saying, it doesn't apply to zoning. But 
you can see the the association. Yeah, uh, so I think a lot of people misunderstand the emergency clause in legislation. So it is very standard practice for communities across the state to include the emergency language provision. And so that is something that we do regularly. We are starting to evaluate and make sure that, you know, that we're not just getting into utilizing it for everything. Um, as but, a matter of convenience. Correct. As a, yeah. Correct. And, and so we are evaluating that. It is something that by including that language, all it means is that it would go into effect immediately following signature. We don't have a 30-day waiting period. And consequently, it also means that it wouldn't be able to be referendum. So, you know, my, my belief is that using it for standard business operations, things that have to occur, a water line replacement, you know, paying our insurance is, is appropriate, right? Those are things that we need to can just continue to move with. Mm-hmm. But we should look at making sure that we're not using it all the time. But specifically on zoning and, and building code regulations, it would not be able to be used. The second measure that the uh, ballot initiative would address is uh, penalties for zoning code violations, specifically uh, discontinuing water service when other unrelated uh, zoning code violations uh, occur. Yeah. Why is that an appropriate uh, use of, uh, why is that an appropriate penalty? Yeah, so first of all, that that provision has not been used in the past 10 years. So if someone believes that their water was shot off for something other than them not paying their bill, mm-hmm. please call me and let's discuss that because our records indicate we have not done that in the past 10 years. The only instance that I'm aware of where water was shut off for a non-water department code violation of any kind or non-compliance was in 2007 following flood events when people were not complying with the FEMA regulations necessary for their properties to be connected to water. And so because they weren't, they weren't getting back with us, they weren't working with us, that was our only way to get their attention. So I believe it is appropriate method how, because it gives us that power of last resort. Now, this is something that has never been brought up to us. This is not something that like, oh, we just know it's in our back pocket and we use it all the time, right? Without really having discussion around it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm happy to have conversation and cl- how can we clarify in our rules and regulations when it is appropriate and able to be used. But I think having that as an ability is is useful because sometimes we have a really hard time getting people to, to respond and work with us on things that are appropriate. Um, if it hasn't been used, uh, then is there really a problem with uh, eliminating? I mean, uh, the my understanding is their legal consultant uh, raised some questions about the legality of using that as a, uh, a quote-unquote weapon uh, right. of last resort, an yeah. option of last resort. I, I don't have a significant concern if it was going to be, if it is removed. However, I think that it's a little bit um, concerning that Rather than working and saying, how can we make sure that we have good policies and address this, that they're just saying, let's take that ability away. Um, so, but that's one that I'm not overly concerned. About. The uh, the third provision has to do with citizen input at council meetings. And again, just uh, several weeks ago, this uh, became a rather hot button issue. And again, maybe this is something that is better uh, directed uh, towards city council specifically. But since you're here, I'll ask you about <laughs> this and uh, and your thoughts uh, on this uh, city council limiting uh, the amount and uh, the structure of uh, community input at council meetings. 
Yeah. So first I would state that citizens can always reach out to us. They can send emails. They can give phone calls. They can schedule meetings. I meet with citizens frequently to discuss, you know, issues, concerns, ideas, whatever it may be. Citizens can also submit letters in writing to council at any time, as citizens tend to do. And then the one that gets the most attention is obviously showing up to a city council meeting and mm-hmm. giving an oral statement. Now, um, Councilman Herring, or Council President Harrington under knows my feelings. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, that was frustrating. That should not have occurred. The citizen should have been allowed to speak as they were then later in the meeting. But mm-hmm. that was unnecessary. I'm a big believer in citizens coming and sharing their thoughts at meetings. I would always rather them come and have that opportunity to speak. And right now, the rules of council are that any citizen can come as long as they have submitted their name and the topic that they want to discuss. And they get four minutes at the beginning of the meeting to make their statements. And if council believes that they should continue to be able to you know, make their remarks, they can extend their time. So I, I think it's misrepresenting a little bit that citizens don't have the opportunity. Additionally, um, you know, they can come to public meetings at any time, um, though, unless they are called upon by a city council member, they can't really participate in the meeting. Um, but you can reach out to your council members anytime. Um, and, and lastly, I'll ask, uh, because uh, in our conversation with Tom Ross yesterday, the president of the uh, Finley Area Apartment Association, he uh, indicated that there uh, had been attempts to reach out to bring these concerns uh, that they have to city leaders and that they had fallen on deaf ears. Have have you had those conversations? Is that accurate? Um, so I would have not been contacted except for on this farm animal legislation specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a couple of other comments were made in writing as was requested for people to do early on in the um, to city planning commission. So I'm on that. So I did receive that feedback Uh, specific to the apartment association, Hancock regional planning director, Matt Cordonier actually went to their meeting and presented specifically on this. And it was not a productive dialogue. Um, and therefore I have not encouraged my staff to continue to meet with them, um, because they don't need to be belittled and harassed. And so if people want to provide productive dialogue, I'm happy to take their input, but if it's simply going to be my way or the highway, then that's not going to, to get much attention. We will leave it there uh, for now, but again, we'll continue to follow because, as we mentioned, uh, this the Apartment Association indicates they are collecting signatures now uh, for this ballot initiative, so it's something yeah, we would and I would encourage follow. citizens outside of that organization to share their opinion as well. You know, we, are, we have had this dialogue for the past months before even officially starting the legislative process to ensure that we had significant feedback because different people have different perspectives. And I would much rather have well thought out, well discussed legislation to ensure that it's for the best of our community. Mayor Mern, thanks very much for uh, joining us, sharing yeah. your perspective. We Good appreciate to see it. you as always. Well, of course, schools around the country are out for the summer, but a new bill in Congress could make it safer for those students when they return. The Access to AEDs Act would help ensure all schools are prepared and trained to respond in an emergency. And joining us now on behalf of the American Heart Association is Dr. Inezi Uzendu, a cardiologist who knows firsthand how critical this is. And first off, uh, Dr. Uzendu, explain what the Access to AEDs Act would do and how it will save lives. 
Thank you. Yeah. So um, an AED is an automated external defibrillator. Right. Um, and it's used when someone suffers a cardiac arrest. Uh, a cardiac arrest is when someone's heart stops beating all of a sudden. And when that happens, obviously, there's no blood flow to the brain, vital organs. Um, and so in that setting, it's very important for someone to perform CPR or cardiopulmonary resuscitation, which is manually pressing on the person's chest and act, really kind of taking on the function of that person's heart by recirculating the blood and then getting that AED, that defibrillator, to help restart the heart by shocking it back or kind of jump-starting the heart. Um, the access to AEDs act is going to try and make sure that our schools are safe. And what it will do is it will provide grant funding for schools to actually purchase defibrillators or AEDs um, to be able to teach our students, um, our kids, how to perform CPR, how to use an AED, and then finally, it allows them to create a cardiac arrest emergency response plan. So if someone suffers a cardiac arrest, whether it's a student or a staff member, um, there's a plan in place to intervene by starting that CPR and then a, retrieving an AED, a defibrillator, to help re-shock shock that person's heart and uh, give them the best chance of survival. So talk about why uh, specifically you're looking to uh, target an increased access to emergency equipment in schools. I mean, obviously, uh, this is knowledge that everyone should have. This is uh, equipment in in the case of AEDs. It's equipment that should really be available everywhere. Talk about why the uh, focus specifically on schools here. Yeah, so um, in schools, um, you know, we're dealing with kids. Um, and usually we kind of think of like, oh, like, you know, heart disease is something that happens to the elderly um, or people that have other um, other conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do know that um, 7,000 to 23,000 cardiac arrests happen each year um, in children under the age of 18. We also know that children that actually participate in, you know, uh, competitive sports are actually at a higher risk of suffering a cardiac arrest. And probably it's because of like the increased demand on the heart and on the body when sure. they're performing uh, the, you know, the activity. Um, and so we're really trying to make sure that students that are engaging in activity that would obviously otherwise have a full life ahead of them, um, that we're making sure that they're safe to continue in those sporting activities. And, you know, obviously some cardiac arrests do occur without um, that strenuous activity, but we just want to make sure that our, well, our students, our kids are safe um, as they're returning to schools, as they're on the field, on the court. Um, playing different sports. And uh, those numbers that you cite uh, can be rather alarming and probably will be an eye-opener for people who, again, like you said, probably wouldn't even think about this as being that critical uh, in schools uh, because of the age that people were talking about. As we mentioned, you know firsthand why it is important for people to know CPR and have quick access to AEDs, not just because you are a cardiologist, but because you have literally been there. Share a little bit of your story. Yeah, so um, at the age of 25, again, I was young, healthy, um, athlete. Um, I suffered a cardiac arrest. I was playing basketball at a local gym and suffered a cardiac arrest. Uh, but gratefully, people there knew CPR. There was an AED available, and they used it, and they retrieved it and used it to help save my life. Uh, we know that about two-thirds of cardiac arrests actually happen at home. And so the people that you'd be learning CPR um, or it would be people that you love, people that you care about. Um, but unfortunately, most of the time, people don't actually perform CPR. They may not know how. They may um, be scared or feel like they don't, um, that they could potentially be hurting the person, which isn't the case. Um, but what we want to do is make sure that people are equipped and they know how to save lives. You know, for me, it was so, so important that people there 
um, felt comfortable and were able to kind of jump in and save a life. Um, but we want to make sure that everyone across the country, especially as we're going into the summer, kids are going out playing sports, going to camps and all sorts of things, um, that every family member has this life-saving critical skill set. Um, because we know that um, cardiac arrest, less than 10% of people survive. But again, with CPR, with an AD available and being used, um, we can double, potentially triple that survival. And you bring up a good point uh, that this most often happens uh, at home or it can really happen anywhere where you least expect it. And during the summertime is the perfect opportunity for families to prepare for uh, these types of emergencies and learn what they need to know in order to respond. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I think this could be a family activity. You know, um, you can go to the heart.org website. Um, there, that's the American Heart Association website, and you can learn more um, about uh, CPR, cardiac arrest. Um, there are actually links that you can uh, watch videos for hands-only CPR um, so that you can um, intervene. Again, you know, if we pass this legislation, um, and what we're asking people to do is to text AED to the number 46839. Um, if we pass this legislation, hopefully we'll be able to keep our students and our kids safe at school but we do want to make sure that um, every family member is equipped and able to uh, save lives at home or wherever they go, grocery store, uh, wherever uh, you are in the community. And so going to the heart.org website or other local um, resources uh, to learn CPR and then um, texting AED to 46839 will be important to keep our, keep our uh, family safe at home and then in school. Yeah. Um, and again, getting back to that access to AEDs Act that we mentioned, what kind of support uh, does that uh, have? Again, this has been uh, introduced in Congress. So what is the outlook here? Yeah, um, it looks really good, but we really obviously need this support. And um, part of the reason why the American Heart Association is sponsoring this uh, segment and making sure that all of our um, uh, listeners uh, jump in and um, help uh uh, push and advocate for this legislation. Um, but it does have bipartisan support in Congress. Um, it also has support from leading uh, sports organizations like the uh, NBA, NFL, with Damar Hamlin, um, sure. NHL, NCAA, yeah. WNBA. Um, and then we also have support from uh, the American Heart Association and other health organizations. Uh, we will follow that uh, as uh, we go through the summer. And as we said, hopefully uh, this will make it safer for students uh, when they come back to class. Dr. Anezi Uzendu with us this morning on behalf of the American Heart Association. Mention again where we can get more information real quickly. Yeah, so if you could text 46839 um, and text AED to that number. Um, and then also going to the heart.org website. Dr. Uzendu, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Okay, so this is a big farm country, and uh, anyone who is involved in uh, farming on any level, even just backyard gardening, familiar with uh, having to deal with pests who can ruin your crops. If you're not if you're not careful, whether it's a backyard garden or you know uh, seven hundred acres of uh, corn or soybeans, if you don't do pest control, you could be in big trouble. Uh, and that is certainly not unique uh, here all around the world. Farmers deal with this. In India, 
<laughs> Farmers have a problem with monkeys. Uh, they're trying to keep the monkeys away from their sugarcane crops. And uh, one farmer, uh, Gar- Garhinder Singh, I think is how you pronounce his name, uh, says about 45 monkeys uh, roam the area uh, around his crops uh, and they can cause incredible damage. Uh, he says, we have appealed to authorities, uh, but no attention has been paid. So we came up with a unique solution. <laughs> now, most pests uh, in this area would control pesticides and that kind of thing. Uh, maybe in your backyard garden, you put a scarecrow. Well, uh, these farmers, uh, Farmer Singh <laughs> and all of the workers on the, uh, on the farm pooled their money and bought a bear costume. And the uh, workers take turns wearing the bear costume, <laughs> walking around the fields, scaring away the monkeys. <laughs> uh, another farmer uh, actually pays people to wear a bear costume, walk around the field. He said, if prices don't get you, the weather will. If the weather doesn't get you, stray cattle will. If the stray cattle doesn't get you, the monkeys will. (laughs) Dressing up like a bear and wandering around the fields. That must be quite a sight. Um, (laughs) So... If you ever have to uh, to deal with pests in your farm fields or your backyard garden, just remember, it could be a heck of a lot worse. You could have monkeys to deal with. <laughs> Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, this also from the uh, international file, another example of tourists behaving badly. Historians in Italy are fuming after some tourist was filmed, was caught on video, carving his or her, his name and his girlfriend's name into the wall of the Roman Colosseum with a, with a key. Seriously? Uh, the uh, video shows a smiling man scratching Ivan and Haley with a heart uh, into the 2,000-year-old wall of the Roman Colosseum. No, you just, you didn't just do that. But yes, there's video evidence. Commenta- uh, commenters have asked that the video be handed over to police so the culprit can be brought to justice. The penalty could include a fine of over $1,000 and up to a year in jail. Uh, Italy's Minister of Culture says, I consider it very serious, unworthy, and a sign of great incivility that a tourist defaces one of the most famous places in the world a historical heritage such as the Colosseum to engrave the name of his girlfriend. The Colosseum, of course, one of the seven wonders of the modern world. So somebody goes over to Rome to carve their names in the walls of the Roman Colosseum. Don't do that. Don't do that if you ever go to Italy. They frown on that sort of thing. Surprisingly enough, <sighs> elsewhere in the broken, this is why people hate Americans. I don't know if it was an American, but I suspect that it probably was because we do dumb things like that. Some of us would do dumb things like that. Elsewhere in the broken news, closer to home, 
In Columbus, Indiana, the Parks Department has confirmed that a dead octopus was found in a park bathroom, and no one seems to know why. Uh, the director of the Parks Department, Mark Jones, said the sea creature was found at Mill Race Park Thursday morning. Photos have been making the rounds on social media show gray and pink tentacles dangling over the side of a silver toilet. Uh, Mr. Jones said it was uh, the uh, octopus was deceased when it was discovered and uh, the uh, carcass has been disposed of. Uh, One David Lancaster found the uh, octopus, but it is unclear how it made its way into the restroom of the park in Columbus, Indiana. Weird. Just not something you would expect to find in Indiana, of all places. Not too many octopi uh, in the wild in Indiana. New York City! Dateline New York City, uh, where you know they have all kinds of crazy regulations. Now, pizzerias in the Big Apple may have to make some big changes because of a new effort to crack down on carbon emissions. This is a story in the New York Post. The city's Department of Environmental Protection is drafting new rules requiring eateries to cut their carbon emissions by up to 75%. And that means pizza joints that use older wood-fired ovens would have to buy emission control devices or be put out of business. (laughs) We can't wood-fire those pizzas. Microwave them. Works just as well. Right? Sure it does. I think what they're really trying to crack down is the the aroma wafting from the uh, (laughs) pizzeria gets everybody hungry. Now that I can understand. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, (laughs) our dumb criminal of the day story. Uh, This is in Indianapolis. In Indianapolis, a man has now been arrested for armed robbery after allegedly, uh, allegedly holding a woman, uh, holding up a woman at gunpoint, <laughs> and then subsequently friending her on Facebook and asking her out on a date. <laughs> Held her up at gunpoint and then friended her on Facebook and asked her for a date. Amber Baron was checking her email when Damien Boyce allegedly held her up with a gun. She was minding her own business. She was doing this in public. Uh, Damien Boyce came up, allegedly held her up with a gun, robbed her of $100 cash. Uh, Ms. Baron said he then told her to search him on Facebook and add him while he watched. (laughs) That was his next request. Uh, Mr. Boyce uh, told Ms. Baron that he would pay her back later before fleeing the scene on a bicycle. (laughs) I've got your money, but I'll pay you back. Uh, Later, Ms. Baron received Facebook messages from Mr. Boyce telling her that he wanted to meet up with her. Look, I'm going to pay you back. It's a way to meet meet up with you. You're too pretty to rob. So he actually, he made up the excuse. He wasn't actually trying to rob her at gunpoint. He was just <laughs> trying to figure out a way to, to get her attention, I guess. Well, that'll do it. 
Mr. Boyce was arrested for armed robbery on Wednesday. He was charged with possession of a handgun as a convicted felon. Uh, Mr. Boyce uh, was also arrested the week prior for robbery, resulting in bodily injury and battery with a deadly weapon. So <laughs> he's got a he's got a track record. <laughs> oh my goodness! Robbed her at gunpoint and then asked her out on a date. I wasn't really trying to rob you. I was just trying to you know break the ice. Uh, Dating Fails 101. There you go. Uh, That is uh, today's broken news. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. You've been putting back a few, and a few becomes a few too many. For a moment, you think of calling for a ride, but nah, you live nearby. What's the worst that could happen? You get pulled over, your insurance goes up, you lose your license, you total your car, you kill someone. The results of driving drunk are tragic. That's why law enforcement is out there looking for impaired drivers to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Drive sober or get pulled over. Paid for by NHTSA. And now your daily download. The numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. According to a new survey, 2,000 U.S. adults, the average person in this country has... $54,767 worth of debt. That's amazing. Now, mind you, that does include uh, not just credit card debt and and things like that, but mortgages, auto loans, medical debt. Those are the big ones. But that's a pretty alarming number, $54,767 on average worth of debt. According to this poll, the average person feels that they can only stay debt-free with respect to uh, credit card debt and that kind of thing could only stay debt free for eight and a half weeks before accruing new debt. So less than three months. Uh, as far as their re- uh, ability to remain out of debt, only 38% feel very confident in this regard. Uh, some of the reasons the rising cost of living, 54% cite that as a reason why it's just impossible to stay out of debt these days. say unexpected expenses always come up. Uh, Rising interest rates were cited by 29% is the reason why their debt obligations continue to rise. Not having enough support from others was cited by 20%. I'm not sure exactly what that means. But uh, 16% admit that they accrue debt because they feel the need to spend in order to keep up with others. That keeping up with the Joneses, uh, Joneses sort of thing. Uh, 56%, and again, that number, 54,767, um, is pretty large. 56% of those in the survey, though, say that they owe more for necessities than those things that are just nice to have. It's the necessities that are weighing them down, despite the fact that uh, almost one in five say that they have that need to keep up with the Joneses. But the bulk of it is uh, for necessities, that debt. Kind of interesting. Michelle Rumschlag is here from the Hancock Park District. Talk about what's going on heading into the month of July, which again seems kind of crazy that we're talking about uh, July already. It's just where does the time go? But uh, I, I know that first month of school break is over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It just all <laughs> of a sudden. Kids. 
Um, it, it seems like we get over 4th of July as sort of like the peak and we head downhill into the fall. I was that. seeing I like why. sales on summer stuff. And this was last week. Now, officially, summer didn't start till last right. Wednesday. Yeah. Summer's uh, just started. Officially. And but, I'm thinking this was like, yeah, I was like, uh, but you're right. It's and like, especially when you have kids, I mean, your yes. age, uh, they, they really, it starts like everything starts hitting right, right. after. And mine, mine go to Liberty Benton. So they get the full, they start after, which all county schools do, start after, the, Labor, after Day. Labor Day. So they get the full three month summer yeah. off. So yeah, it was well, like then, midway through the month, I said, you know, you're two weeks <laughs> into your break already. Yeah, yeah no kidding. <laughs> And so before long, things will start getting busy yeah. again. And, uh, you know, well, kids are going to start to uh, prepare well, for the fair or doing that. But uh, Right. And yeah, really, once August hits, depending where, where you are with your kids, and I've got two high schoolers, um, it starts like back to school practices. Yeah. So I've yeah. got one in marching band. I've got some that do cross country. So really, it's... So it's, July is, is like is peak it, time it, it gets to back get into to practices which leads us to some of the things that are going on in the month of july i know right now you've yeah. uh, got camp things going on and yes we are busy with camp um this week so i guess with that um we only have a couple camps that have availability and those are taking place this month and they are for the older children so i've got one um in a couple weeks that's for 10 to 12 year olds okay that has a couple of spots and then we have a photography two two-day photography camps oh cool for middle school and then for high schoolers, and there's still spots available there. All right. All of our other camps, um, our one days and for younger age, are, and they've been full for a while, Yeah, are full. Okay. But again, you know, we do have other programs for those younger kids. Again, HancockParks.com for July and August. There's still a lot of things. If you didn't get into camp, missed out this year, there's other things available. So what's going on? Let's hit some of the highlights here in the month of July. Well, coming up um, next, I guess a week from this Friday, is I have one on nocturnal mammals. And so that'll be taking place again July, Friday, July 7th. And we're going to go out to Ireland Recreation Area. Mm-hmm. So if you're like going where? Um, again, HancockParks.com. There's a drop down that has all information about our parks. Mm-hmm. And so this one is kind of, again, northeast of town here near Arcadia, Fostoria area. Um, it's a great park. It's not heavily used or a lot of traffic. It's very quiet. Yes. But a lot of neat things to see. So we're going to be there at the shelter at 730 in the evening. Um, this is for kids ages 6 to 9 with an adult. Um, there's no cost, but we just want you to register so I know if I've got kids coming out. Okay. And we're going to talk about mammals, um, of course, like raccoons and possums and skunks. Um, I won't have anything live, uh, but I'll have furs. That we and know skull. Of, that, but that'll be but the is, cool, right? That yeah. will be the hope. But you never know <laughs> that we're going to take a little hike um, up to Goose Lake to see if we can find anything out that night. But again, a lot of hands-on things um, for the kids, and so again, starting at seven thirty at Ireland, um, and I just need you to register by that afternoon at one o'clock. Okay, very again. good. What else so, is going on? Um, so. Our open house at the Discovery Center in July is going to be on dinosaurs. And so that's a lot of people, or even adults, not just kids, are fascinated with that topic. So that's going to take place on Sunday, July 9th at the Discovery Center. Of course, open houses are one to four, um, drop in all ages. And uh, Chris Allen, our program specialist, is going to be handling that. And so it's going to have different information. She's going to be having a dinosaur scavenger hunt. All kinds oh, of activities, like right? All kinds of activities and stuff out there. So that'll be taking place on Sunday. And then also we'll let people know, um, during the summer, we do open the Discovery Center on some Saturdays. So we have two in July and two in August. Those are 10 to 4. 
And different than our Sunday ones where we have lots of information and things to look at. Mm -hmm. These are just, if you want to, you know, out for a hike and pop in and check out what's going on in the parks, we've got, you know, information, brochures. Um, We have like little videos going. Um, And then usually there's a little activity. So something's happening with one of the staff. So again, those dates, they're 10 to 4, but times for the activities. And when those are happening, again, HancockParks.com. So if you are, can't make the Sunday ones and just... I had a friend that had her grandchildren in in town, and so they stepped out. We had one this past Saturday, okay, and stuff. So again, just put that out there if you know sure. looking for things to do, and want to visit inside the Discovery Center, okay, that is uh, taking place. Anything else to uh, highlight coming up in the month of July? Well, we have our Wee Ones programs, and so those are for three and under. And in July is going to take place on Monday, July seventeenth. And we're going to be out at Riverside Park at the Waterfalls Pavilion. Okay. And it'll be taking place at 10 o'clock. And it's entitled Ladybugs Dance. And so um, we're going to, it's encouraging the toddlers and their adults. Um, we're going to be dancing. I'm not sure what kind of dance yet. Okay. We're going to have fun. Uh, we're going to make little tutus out of tissue paper. Um, <laughs> we actually have, I thought, oh, I can make one, but I remembered we actually have a ladybug costume from previous programs. So <laughs> I will be done. Just look for the large ladybug if you're going out there. Okay. Um, it's, this is one part of my job. There's no shame. And you just go with the flow. <laughs> so I will be in ladybug costume with little kids, again, learning about ladybugs, but making the, just just having a good time out at Riverside. That'd be so fun. that's Monday, July 17th at 10 o'clock. Okay. Again, leave your... Whatever, if fears, whatever at home, fears. just write and just embrace the ladybug dancing we'll be doing. Because <laughs> <laughs> be I fun. sure will be. <laughs> that'll be fun. Yeah, what a great, I mean, that'd be like a highlight in the park. You can take the little ones, you know, read the uh, uh, the story walk right. and stop at the uh, waterfall. And stop pavilion. there at 10 o'clock. Yeah, that. there's no registration. All yeah. of our little kid programs is just the playground, drop you got the pool, in. you got all of that. So hopefully, yeah, the yeah. weather will agree with us. And um, I don't know where my brain thinks of some of these things. I just thought we were going to do ladybugs, <laughs> and then, like, we wanted to be active and came up with it. So, so there you go. it's just one of those things that we'll see how it works. <laughs> That'll be fun. Um, it should be. I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. And uh, anything else? we got about a minute or so here to uh, highlight anything else. Well, um, another story time, I guess, we've got for kids happening. Um, this will take place at Oakwood's Nature Preserve on Wednesday, July 19th, and it's called The Flying Jewel of the Maiden Grass pond um and so it's going to be for kids ages three to six with their adult this will take place at that nature play area so the great outside area that kids play in um there at oakwood's nature preserve it's going to be at 10 o'clock free there's no registration necessary and so again reading a story out in the nature play area and then some other activities and stuff and um the flying jewel it's going to be about dragonflies Okay. So is what the story will be based on. Very good. So again, Wednesday, July 19th at 10 a.m. And again, uh, just getting out to the parks is yes. always a great uh, thing to do on, you know, really any summer day. Just right. Take and the even kids, a day like today when it's family. rainy and, and not, you know, everybody wants that 75 sunny, you know, go out. It's just neat. I mean, we had camp yesterday where it was like the trees were all wet. It was, it was raining on us a little bit. It's yeah. just a different experience when you go out in different kinds of weathers. And then also different parks. I know everyone has their favorite, but encourage this summer, you know, look at all the different areas we've got. And then go visit something. Maybe you haven't been in a while or you've never been to. Yeah. And then just, you know, you might find something new and find a new favorite. Absolutely. And again, more information about all of the July activities and... I guess all of the August activities. Yes, all of our summer is on there. And so that is, yeah, HancockParks.com.
Very good. Michelle Rumschlag of the Hancock Park District with us this morning. July preview. What's going on out of doors, uh, in the great outdoors, uh, your Hancock County uh, Parks. Thanks very much for dropping by. Thanks for having me. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program, of course. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the program at our webpage. Check us out online at goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow morning on the program, summer safety tips from the National Safety Council and advice on leveraging technology to prevent brain drain, how to make your child's screen time more useful this summer. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.